The text for the sermon is the second half of verse 1 of Ephesians 1. To get the context, I will read the first two verses. It's the opening address uh, to the letter to the Ephesians. There we read, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The words of the text are, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. After the sermon, let us respond by singing hymn 61. Hymn 61, stanzas 1 and 2. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul's letter to the Ephesians is a letter about what it means to be the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the first chapter, he speaks about God's elect, that is, those who have a special place in this world. And from this letter, it becomes quite evident that as Christians, we are called upon to be people of two worlds. By faith, we have been made citizens of a kingdom which is not of this world. Yet we are in this world called to to live our lives in a worldly environment. And so there is an unavoidable tension between these two clashing environments. But within them, we are expected to live as saints who fulfill a divinely ordained purpose. Christians are, by God's design, men and women of two worlds. Now, the apostle illustrates this truth in his opening address to the Christians of Ephesus. For you see, he is writing to the saints in Ephesus. And the reference to in Ephesus highlights one world. It was the city in which these Christians lived and worked and played. It was the place in which they faced the daily joys and struggles in life. And so you could substitute and say in Elora or Fergus for in Ephesus. Paul identifies also that these saints in Ephesus are the faithful ones in Jesus Christ. And that points to the other world, the new world of spiritual life that every true believer has with God through faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. And this phrase, in Christ, is one of Paul's favorite expressions. He uses it more than 150 times in some 80 verses in Scripture. And he does that to convey the special bond that we have with our Savior. And so to live in Christ is to share his risen life, to share his continual presence, and to be surrounded by his triumphant supremacy over the world, even as we live in Ephesus. And so I bring you God's word how Christians are people of two worlds. Two points. We are going to look at the life in Ephesus, Elora, Fergus, wherever you live. And the second point, the life in Christ. 
Now we need to understand, my brothers and sisters, that life in Christ and life in Ephesus or wherever you live are not alternatives. True, you and I may live by choice here in this area, but God has joined together our living in this area and our being in Christ as the sphere in which we live and operate. And I want to stress this because, you see, the tendency to separate in Christ and in Ephesus can so easily creep in. And perhaps this is because of Paul's instruction to the Corinthians to where he says, come out from them and be separate in 2 Corinthians 6 or 17. And you know, maybe that statement of Paul in his letter to the Corinthians may have contributed to a tendency for Christians to escape from the world. You hear that sometimes. And people say there is so much dirty politics and intrigue and downright corruption in this world that we better keep away from it. Except, it seems, if there is money to be made. For you see, on the other hand, there is also the inclination for Christians to conform to this world. They capitulate to its standards and values. And the word values is one we have heard regularly in these past weeks. You see, the Liberal Party likes to claim that its values represent Canadian values and that to be a Canadian is therefore to be a liberal. And now the problem with this world's values and its value system is that it urges us to put in Ephesus before being in Christ. And so we are urged to listen to the voice of expediency that says, you know, the best way to get along in life is to go along. But when we go along with the values found in Ephesus, then we are not standing up for uh, and be counted as men and women who are in Christ. Then we are not people who live in two worlds, but then we are people who cheer for the one world without a future at the expense of that other world with a future. And as it stands, God has called us to be saints. That means he has called us to be people set apart for his service. And therefore, any accommodation to the ways of the world is a disastrous course for Christians because, you see, it interferes with the values laid down by God. And therefore, any policy of accommodation to a sinful society will prove to be disastrous. If the church fails to preserve its distinctive identity as the body of Christ, then believers lose their spiritual glow because there is nothing about their life and convictions to remind themselves and others that God is in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself. And just ask yourself, how many spiritual casualties have happened because of flirting with the world? The Christian emphasis is not either or, but both and here. Christians are called to be faithful in Christ Jesus as saints in Ephesus. Not separating these two, not faithful to Christ Jesus, and there's Ephesus or the place we live. No, faithful in Christ Jesus as saints in Ephesus. We are people of two worlds. 
And now the question arises, of course, how can we possibly live in two worlds at the same time? For are these two worlds not mutually exclusive? And then the answer is yes, indeed. In orientation and outlook, the two worlds are definitely mutually exclusive. And yet, God has not put us before some impossible feat. We need to keep in mind what a tremendous difference it makes to be uh, to our lives in Ephesus if we are faithful in Christ. Because, you see, being faithful in Christ also gives us the assurance and the means to be secure in Christ. Now, sometimes you hear it, I maybe hear it with a certain amount of regularity, where it says, the world is getting to be an awful place. And then they point out that immorality and vice are rampant. But the question comes up when we hear that, the world is becoming an awful place. Then the question becomes, from whose perspective is this world becoming an awful place? And I'm asking that question because just ask yourself this. Can a fallen world become more sinful in God's eyes? After the flood, the Lord God observed that the evil intent of man's heart has been to do evil from childhood, we read in Scripture. And through Isaiah, God labeled his people as an obstinate people who walk in ways not good and who continually provoke me to my face. So in what way, then, is the world getting to be an awful place? And the answer is, it is only getting an awful place insofar that the brakes are coming off. And yet we know from Scripture that there is nothing new under the sun. The preacher observed that what has been will be, and what is here and now has already been before. And in that kind of world, God has sent his Son so that his saints may be in Christ Jesus who came to overpower sin and Satan. And this means that the saints who are in Christ are people who know the secrets of moral victory in the midst of temptation. Now, of course, we know that when Paul addressed his letters to the Christians in Ephesus or in Rome or in Corinth, that he wrote to people who lived in a particular place, and whose location we can still find on the map. But when you read Paul's letters to the Corinthians in these places, or to the Christians in these places, rather, you also read about the vice, the immorality, and the temptations that were found in these places. And let me tell you, my brothers and sisters, that Christians in Ephesus knew the meaning of temptation, of greed, of sex and worldly values. And as you walk through the cities of Ephesus, you can still see some evidence of what is happening and has happened there. We see Ephesus was a harbor city, complete with all the sinful attractions for the sailors. And in the main street, there is still a marble slab in the floor pointing you the direction to where the brothels are. And when you walk among the ruins of Ephesus, you get a sense of how wealthy the city used to be. 
The famous library of Celsus shows that no expenses were spared to be a city of renown. And from the book of Acts, we know of its values. Demetrius the silversmith was against that new religion that Paul was preaching because he saw his livelihood was under attack. Simply put then, the Ephesian society was plagued with every form of evil and every form of corruption that you and I get to face in life. The saints in Ephesus were put before the same choices that you and I have to make. And therefore living in two worlds meant for them as it means for us. That it was hard to be in Ephesus in order to leave, live a clean life. It was hard to be in Ephesus to live a disciplined life worthy of their high calling in Christ. And so it is not for nothing that Paul concludes his instruction to the Ephesians with the admonition that they should put on the full armor of God to guard us against the devil's schemes. Now, do you know anyone who is exempt from temptation? There's none. As long as we live in a fallen world, we have to struggle against the principalities and powers of the dark world and against the spiritual forces of the evil one in the heavenly realms. And so temptation can be subtle or not so subtle, but it is always a suggestive thing that attacks us on all levels of our personality. And so escape from temptation is simply not possible. But thanks be to God, victory over temptation is possible. And you see, the writer to the Hebrews lets us in on the secret of this victory. Of Christ, he says, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And that tells us, therefore, that our Lord Jesus Christ has been, let me say it, in Ephesus. He knows about the temptations from the inside out. He knows the subtle and not so subtle workings of the evil one. And he understands just how attractive and seductive and alluring voices the voices are. But Christ prevailed. He defeated the devil. He won the victory. And you and I are no match for, the, match for the devil's craft and cunning we face, but we are never alone, you see. Christ is there in the midst of temptation to help those who are being tempted. And in his victory, we can share as we believe in him and live in him and rely on him. And that brings us to the second point. Living in two worlds at the time is possible only because when we are being faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, the biblical assurance found in the letter to the Hebrews that the Lord Jesus Christ helps believers who are being tempted, that assurance gives the expression in Christ a special meaning. For to be in Christ means 
that we have the gift of inner peace in the midst of trouble. And that is good news coming from Christ who taught us to be realistic when he said, in this world, you will have trouble. And that prediction is becoming increasingly more pronounced for us well. Canada has been officially Christian for more than 200 years. In fact, our whole culture is based on Christianity. However, today it is no longer respectable or even acceptable actually to be a Christian. It is not that religion in general is out. Oh no, people are still respected for their religious views as long as these views are personal or non-Christian views. For comments made by Jews and Muslims are tolerated, while Christian views are constantly under attack. And so people who state that they are Bible-believing Christians are more and more treated as rather dull, as rather inept, as rather narrow-minded people who stand in the way of progress and equality. Yes, Christian views and convictions are looked upon as more of a nuisance than a benefit. And so Christianity is commonly thought to be the most troublesome obstacle in society's development. What a change from a few centuries ago, where all the developments were brought through the Christian way of thinking. Today, that is gone. But please note that this is not something of just the last 10 years. Already some 30 years ago, Michael Green commented in his book, Running from Reality, and I'm going to quote you a lengthy portion. He wrote this. He says, there is something very strange about the opposition to Christianity. He wrote this more than 30 years ago. He says, this opposition is not usually direct or reasoned. It is snide or cynical. It comes with a laugh or with a groan. You're not one of that lot, are you? And if you doubt it, you only have to go into a pub or a board meeting or a working man's club or a sports dressing room and mention Jesus Christ as the way that shows your allegiance to him and you will be sure to receive a hostile reaction. It may show itself in silence or laughter, in rudeness or blasphemy, but the reaction will be hostile, all right. End of quote. And now, if we live in Ephesus as Christians, then we will, I'm sure, be able to relate to what I just quoted from Michael Green. Let me give you one more quote as he continues this. He says, isn't that really very odd? On any showing, the life of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus are the best that anyone has ever come up with. On any showing, his death is the most famous in history. On any showing, he is the most celebrated person that has ever existed. And more people follow him today than ever before. And that is 2,000 years after his death. Could it be that he was right in saying, 
light has overcome the darkness rather than and men love the darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil? Could it be that we are desperate to keep out of the way? Could it be that it is not the Christians but the non-aligned who are on the run, running to maintain their independence, running to avoid the clutches of the great lover? End of quote. And why do I quote this lengthy piece in connection with the sermon on living in two worlds? Well, to ask the question, who is on the run? The world with its values and little else? Or Christians who know that they live in two worlds? Who has the answers to the questions of life? The world is in search of peace. And you see, in our age, it has become the age of anxiety. Even young children and teenagers are stressed out. Something that was basically unheard of a few decades ago. And the irony is that the more people pursue peace in their own value system, the less capable they become of experiencing that peace. But the faithful in Christ Jesus. They know that they have the most credible system to address life's ills and bring stability and inner peace in their lives. Oh, the the world knows of many methods to get things done. True. There are oodles of self-help manuals for nearly everything under the sun. Self-help books for personhood and self-worth. But none of these methods describe or prescribe the right medicine that brings inner peace of mind and heart. It is so true what someone summed up, and I'm quoting you here, Warren Wiersbe. He says, methods are many, principles are few. Methods always change. Principles never do. So methods are many. Principles are few. Methods always change. Principles never do. And you see, as Christians, we have the principle of being in Christ. And so peace comes to us as God's gift. Inner peace is a byproduct of life in Christ. Jesus said it in the world there would be trouble. But he also promised, in me you have peace. And he left his disciples in every age this promise, peace I leave leave with you, my peace I give you. And so God's blessing to the saints has always been the gift of unique peace from above. For consider what Paul had to say about this supernatural peace for a moment. If you read about his life, as he writes about it in some of the letters, then you know he had to struggle and he faced many difficulties. And even though he suffered shipwreck, public scourgings, imprisonment, and he carried on his heart and mind to care of all the churches, Nevertheless, he wrote glowingly and with conviction, the peace of God which transcends all understanding. 
as Christians. We live in two worlds, but we have received God's gracious gift, his peace that transcends all understanding. Oh, the world can never give this peace to anyone, but the world can never take it away from Christians either. And that is what counts, because living in Christ and living in Ephesus implies that there is a world of the here and the now that will end. That is, the world in Ephesus, and a world of the here and the now that will continue. And that is the world in Christ. And while the Christian gospel gives direction for our life in this world, it does so with a view to its temporary nature. It says that God cares intensely for today because he cares still more intensely about the last day, the climax of history, the consummation of all things in Christ. And you see, that's how it has been along all along. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, we read how long ago the preacher already observed about God that God has made everything beautiful in its time. He also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. God has set eternity in the hearts of men. And so you can really say, you know, it is natural for mankind to think beyond this life as we know it. True. We cannot fathom what God has done from the beginning. But we can grasp what God has done in Christ, in whom beginning and end have their significance. Whoever believes in him, writes John, shall not, have, shall not perish, but have eternal life. And you see, it is the faithful in Christ Jesus who may live with the assurance of eternal life in the midst of time. In Christ Jesus, we have life indeed, here already and now. For you see, eternal life is not something for the hereafter. It begins here and now. And that is how God lets us live in two worlds. Oh, the Christian faith is not a pie-in-the-sky religion. And it may be unfashionable to be a Christian, but it is the best life there is. On the giant screen of humanity, it is the only true reality show. Living in two worlds requires our constant focus and our constant refocus on the world that will last and where we are no longer in Ephesus. Because then, as we focus upon the future, we shall be more alive than ever in Christ. That's how we live our life in two worlds. Amen.